Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. About ten years ago or so, um, there was a rise of this very interesting phenomenon. And, and it came at the convergence of a smartphone, a phone that you could do more than just talk on. You could take pictures with you could do all these other things with. And this thing called Facebook. And in this convergence of these two things, about 10 years ago, people started taking their own pictures of themselves and then posting them online, just all over, all over, all over the internet. You know, people are posting pictures of themselves and these pictures were called selfies. Yes. And then somebody came with this great idea because there's some people that have really short arms. Yeah. Or they wanted to give a bigger group in their pictures. So they came up with this, this long projectile thing is called the selfie stick yeah so you could take more bigger selfies i don't know um i actually a couple weeks ago um i was somewhere i saw a guy actually talking on his cell phone imagine that talking on his cell phone but he had forgotten that the selfie stick was still attached to it so he's talking on the phone and there's big sticks sticking out there i wanted to take a picture of that and post it online (laughs) we live in a selfie world we are all about the self and it's not just our pictures online It's about everything. It seems like our culture is obsessed with the self to the detriment of our relationships because when you're so consumed with yourself, you're not caring about other people. I read recently that uh, a survey was done. One in four adults in America said they have no one in their life that they can talk to about those important personal issues in their life. One in four One quarter of the adult population in our country doesn't have somebody that they can talk to about those big issues in their life. And they said if you took away family members, because for some of them it was a family member they could talk to, if you take away family members, the number rose to one half. Half the people outside of their family doesn't have anybody to talk to about the important things in life. I think that's tragic. And I think it's something that God has called his people to make a difference in. I think he has called each of us as Christ followers to be able to extend beyond ourselves and help others, to live selflessly. It's really what love is all about. And God has called us as individuals to to promote love in this world. He has called us us as a church to promote love, to foster love, to extend love. Paul wrote about it. Uh, Jesus said these words. He said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, that you love love one another and so that's why we are in this series called love rules because that's what jesus is saying in our lives love needs to rule and for love to rule you need to know the rules of love and that's what paul wrote about in first corinthians 13 a very familiar passage of scripture it's probably the most well-known of all passages in scripture on the subject of love the problem is we think about it in terms because we hear it at weddings we think about it in terms of husbands and wives but it's much greater than that and like we said last week, love is not about warm, fuzzy feelings or sicky, sweet sentimentality. Love is hard. Love is risky. Love is bold. And, and that's why in this series, my intention for this is not only that you would improve in your relationships, but that we as a church would know how to better extend love to other people, to become better loving and being able to be loved better. And so we're going to look again at 1 Corinthians 13 today. In fact, we're going to be looking at it for each of these six weeks. Um, it's like I said, it's someone that you're probably all familiar with. It's a good one to memorize. It really is. So I'm going to keep reading it every week until you have it memorized. Um, this is what Paul wrote. 
He said, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That, in essence, is what Paul is saying. This is how love works. These are the rules of love. If you're going to promote love in your life, you're going to be able to extend love to other people. This is what it looks like. And we looked at the first two. We're kind of looking at them in groupings. So we looked at the first two together last week. Love is patient and love is kind. This week, he kind of takes a different approach and he talks about what it is not. Because sometimes it's better to know what something is to know what it is not. And it's almost like Paul is saying, listen, these are the things that destroy love. These are the things that sabotage love in your relationships. Love is not, does not, is not envious, does not boast, it is not proud. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at these things from the negative point of view, but with the understanding that if that's what love is not, how do we counter that? And the answer to that is that love, in essence, is selfless. That's rule number two. Love is selfless, does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud. So how do we get rid of those things that would sabotage love in our lives? Well, we're going to look at them one at a time. The first one is envy. The way that you counteract envy in your life is to cultivate contentment. You cultivate contentment. Paul said, love does not envy. Now, envy, envy is that feeling that you have when somebody else is better or better off than you are. Okay? Smarter, richer, better looking, more talented. Anytime that you see somebody else getting ahead, more successful, getting ahead, doing better in life, looking better, whatever it might be, and you had that inner feeling that I wish that was me and I wish they didn't have that, that's envy. We've looked at each of these words in, in the original language because our New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And each of these words have a lot of meaning to them. And in the Greek, the word for, for um, envy is to burn or to boil. It's that inner turmoil that we feel when somebody else seems to be getting ahead of us. And it comes from comparison. See, that, that's where envy comes from. When we start comparing ourselves with somebody else. They did a study not too long ago, a study out of uh, San Francisco State University, as a matter of fact. And they started looking at the, the happiness or satisfaction level of uh, competitors, particularly in the Olympics. The gold medal winner, the silver medal winner, and the, the bronze medal winner. And what they found through this whole study is the gold medal winner, they were ecstatic because they won it all. They're the best in the world, okay? And the bronze medal winner, they were happy because they had, they had won a medal. But they found that the silver medalist was less happy, actually, than the bronze medalist because they're comparing themselves with the gold medalist. And they're thinking to themselves, I was almost the best. I just, if I had just done a little bit better, I could have been the gold medal winner. And so there's a dissatisfaction with 
finishing in second place. What they found with the bronze medalists, they were just happy to be on the podium. Because <laughs> they're comparing with all those other people that they beat. See, when you compare with other people, that is always a lose-lose situation. Paul wrote about it this way. He says, I do not dare compare myself with those who praise themselves. He says, when they do that, they are not wise. They're not wise. Why? Because it's not based in reality. See, when you go on Facebook and you see people posting about their trip here or their vacation over there or the food or the restaurant they're at and pictures of the plates of food you know, in front of them, you are looking at their hair highlight reel. That, that, that's, you're looking at the very best of them, but you are comparing their highlight reel with your behind-the-scenes reality. And that's why they always look better off than you do. But it's not based in reality. Envy ruins relationships and destroys love. James wrote about it this way. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Not only is it not wise, he says it's evil because what it does is it turns relationships into rivalries. When I start comparing myself with other people, I start looking at them differently. When I start becoming envious of other people, I start looking at them differently. And it destroys love. That's why it's evil. So getting away from that, what you need to do is cultivate contentment. Paul wrote about it this way to the Philippian church. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And he talks about all the different circumstances he's been through. And then he sums it all up again with this. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. It doesn't come naturally. You have to learn contentment. There's an old uh, Peanuts comic strip of, of Snoopy. It's Thanksgiving Day, and um, all the family, Charlie Brown's family, is having Thanksgiving dinner with all the trimmings. You know, it's all spread out over there, and, and Charlie Brown comes out to feed Snoopy, and he comes out and puts the plate there with the dog food. You know, he empties a can, puts the dog food there. There it is, and Snoopy says to himself, everybody's in there having a great Thanksgiving meal, and here I am eating dog food, <laughs> and then the last frame of the strip says this, Although it could be worse, I could have been born a turkey. (laughs) See, that's a whole different way of thinking about things. Just learning to say it could be worse. In fact, John Ortberg writes about this in his book. He talks about this idea of just making that almost a mantra of contentment. To just learn to say whatever the circumstances, when you see somebody else that seems to be doing better than you are, to just learn to say it could be worse. Let's practice that together. I'll give that for you. Say it together with me, Richard. It could be worse. So today, when you leave and you walk out to your car and it's parked next to a newer car, a shinier car, a better looking car with a lot more features to it, a lot more extras to it than you, you're just going to stop for a moment. Instead of being envious of that other car, you're going to look at your car and you're going to say, it could be worse. Yeah. See how that works? You go home today, and as you're driving past all of your neighbors who have those well-manicured lawns and the fresh paint job on their house, and you couldn't afford to have a garden, and you can't afford to fix up your house, and you look at all these other really nice houses, and you come and drive into your driveway, and you look at your house, and you go, man, you, this is what you say to yourself. It could be worse. Yeah. And if you're married, when you turn and you look at your spouse, <laughs> nah, I won't even go there. <laughs> oh, I did have somebody I saw. And somebody posted on Facebook last night after the Saturday night service. Um, they had posted, we hadn't been in the car for more than five minutes when my wife turned and looked at me and said, well, it could be worse. 
Yeah. How does that make you feel? See, as long as you're comparing yourself with somebody else, you're always going to look worse off. So what you do is instead of comparing with what it seems like everybody else has, and instead of being dissatisfied with what they have and you don't, instead, just for a moment, think about what you do have and be grateful for that. Because at the bottom line, ultimately, ultimately envy is resentment of God's goodness to somebody else. So instead, be grateful what you do have. Be grateful because if you stop and take a moment to look at what God has done for you and what you have, you begin to realize, you know what? My life isn't so bad after all. Just cultivating contentment. To the Roman church, Paul wrote these words, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes I think it's a lot easier to mourn with those who are mourning than it is to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Love is the power to celebrate somebody else's success, even if they're more successful than you. Envy destroys love. You counter that with contentment. Next one he talks about is boasting. How do you counter boasting? You counter boasting with authenticity. Because if you think about it, boasting is kind of the other side of the coin from envy. In envy, I look at what somebody else's have and, and, and how they're better off than me or, or better than I am, and that's envy. In boasting, what I'm doing is I'm trying to prove to somebody else that I'm better off than they are. It's two sides of the, the same coin. Boasting is, it, um, it literally means, the word means to go beyond or to cross over, to, to, to over, overdo it, okay? To cross the line, to go beyond. And, it, and it's, it, what it is, it's an attempt to appear better than we really are. And it's all about image. Lewis Smead says this, boasting is our own private advertising business. <laughs> our little campaigns to publicize an image of ourselves. Trying to appear a little bit better than I really am. A little bit wealthier than I really am. A little bit more spiritual than I really am. It's all about image. And what it does is it sabotages love in our relationships. Because nobody likes a braggart. I mean, think about it. Is there anybody in your life that's a braggart and that you really like? Anybody that's a know-it-all in your life that you really, really like? No. No, we don't like that. It's, it's, what's, what's ironic about it is in our attempt to appear um, uh, better than we really are in hopes that somebody will like us more, what we actually do is we alienate them and push them away with this, with this like. We're doing, we're, it's just counterproductive. Of course, and we know that, we know that nobody likes a real boastful person, but we have other ways of boasting, very subtle ways of boasting. We, we boast by the kinds of car that we buy, the neighborhood that we live in, the school that we graduated from, the number of initials behind our name. All of these ways are just subtle ways of boasting. Here's another one. Have you ever told a story but slanted it in such a way that you come off looking a little bit better than you really were in that situation? Anybody? Yeah, I'm the only one that does that, sure. Yeah, that's just another form of boasting. It's an attempt to appear larger than we really are. And it's all about image, and it's a thing that Jesus warned us about. 
He said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That's what it's all about. And the only way to combat that image making is to be real, to be authentic. Instead of trying to prop up this image of myself, I become honest about who I really am. Paul wrote about it this way. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. See, the grace of God says, as Jesse said earlier today, says, I am accepted, I am loved just the way that I am. And when you know that God accepts you that way, you can be yourself. It's all about authenticity. It's what, we, it's what we talk about around here all the time. We talk about this idea that we are all people in process. None of us has it all figured out. None of us has it all together. We are learning and growing together. But that can't happen if we're not going to be authentic with each other. And if we keep propping up an image, all that does is repel other people. And it is not love. In fact, it destroys love. There's an, an account in the Gospels where John the Baptist had been very, very popular, and people were coming out to the Jordan River to be baptized by him, crowds of people coming to check him out. And, and then Jesus got baptized and started his ministry, and all of a sudden, people started gravitating away from John the Baptist and started following Jesus. And hundreds and thousands of people started following Jesus, listening to his teachings. And some of John's closest disciples came to him, and they said, you know, everybody's leaving us, and they're going and following Jesus. You know, how do you feel about that? And this is what John said. He said, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. And then these words, he must become greater. I must become less. And what he says, I know who I am and I know who I'm not. And instead of trying to promote myself, it's time for me to take a step back. I must decrease. He must increase. He must become greater. I must become less. It's authenticity. It's knowing who I really am and being honest about that. What you find is when you quit trying to prop up your image and you make yourself vulnerable, that's where love flourishes. When you become honest about your weaknesses with somebody else, what I have seen over and over again is that creates a greater bond and deepens the relationship. And the last one talks about pride. Love is not proud. You counter pride with humility. This too is something that needs to be practiced. But if you think about it, pride at its root, it is the cause of envy and boasting. It really all stems from pride. It's that overinflated sense of self-importance. Um, again, the Greek word, actually King James Version translates it, it is not puffed up. And that's actually more of a literal translation of what the word means. That I'm not, I don't have this overinflated ego. I don't have this overinflated sense of myself. Because, see, that's the thing, that's the thing that drives us to, to demand our rights all the time. It is the thing that, that causes divisiveness and hostility because we're all fighting for our own territory. We're all fighting for our own rights. It's the thing that causes us to gripe and complain when we're not treated the way we think we ought to be treated. Because after all, don't you know who I am? See, all of those things come from that. It's all about pride. And pride is the opposite of love. 
C.S. Lewis talks a lot about pride and humility, but he writes about pride this way. It is the one vice of which no one in the world is free. We all suffer from this, he says. It is the one in which everyone in the world loathes. It is what everyone loathes when he sees it in someone else, of which hardly anyone is ever imagines that they are guilty of themselves. We hate seeing it in other people. We don't see it in ourselves. But we all struggle with it. Every one of I struggle with pride all the time. We have, um, you know, as you come here on a regular basis, if you're a regular here at Northgate, every, the, in our worship services, we gather together. We usually have a couple of songs, one or two songs at the front end, just as people are kind of coming in late. But anyway, as they're coming in, well, that's another sermon for another time. Um, but then someone will come up and do kind of a welcome and a greeting time. And like this morning, it was Vanessa. She comes up, she introduces herself. She says, hi, I'm Vanessa. I'm the director of Connections here. We'd love to get to know you better. Does the whole thing, okay? And then sometimes like Pastor Larry will do it. He'll introduce himself. Hi, I'm Larry Davis. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. And then sometimes when Pastor Larry is preaching, um, then I'll do the welcome time. And it takes everything within me to not say, hi, I'm Pastor Ken, one of the pastors around here. There's a subtle difference there. See, I'm one of the pastors here, but I want you to know I'm the pastor with all the other pastors here, okay? I am, I am the pastor that you should really know is really the pastor here with all the other pastors that I'm one of. <laughs> Every time I do that, I just... It's, uh, <laughs> I want so badly to say it that way. I want everybody to know I'm important around here. I'm the guy. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just one of the pastors here. Now, that's just a stupid little example, but, but it's the thing that's in every one of us. We want to be admired. We want to be recognized. We want to feel important. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is if it gets in the way of your relationships. And the only way to, to, to counter it is to practice humility. It's the, in fact, if you think about it, it's the only way that we can come to God. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Now, why does God oppose the proud? Why does he show favor only to the humble? Why does he oppose the proud? Because the proud can't admit they need him. The proud can't recognize their own failures and mistakes. The proud think they've got it all together. He gives grace to the humble. He gives favor to the humble because they're the ones who are willing to receive it. See, it's the only way you can come to God is in humility. You have to be able to admit your need, ask for his forgiveness, receive his help. In fact, that's, the, the word confess literally means to say the same thing. God says, you are guilty, you are broken, you are in need of forgiveness, you are in need of healing. And when I confess, what I am saying is, God, I am broken, you're right, and I am guilty, and I am in need of forgiveness, and I am in need of healing. A proud person can't say that. But it's absolutely necessary in coming to God. So how do you do it? You do it by serving other people. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In other words, the way that you cultivate humility is you start putting others first. You start finding ways to serve other people. Here's something that you can do. 
do something for somebody anonymously. And don't let anybody know. Don't let your wife know, your husband know, don't let your best friends know, don't let your pastor know. Just do it and then keep your mouth shut. It's a good practice toward humility. Again, C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. (laughs) And that is the essence of love. If you think about it, isn't that what Jesus did for us? In that passage that I just read, it goes on. In fact, he talks about it. It starts this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then there's a big gap there, and he explains what that looked like. Who being in very nature God, didn't consider that something to be held on to or to grasp or to, to, to hold tightly, but he emptied himself and became a man. Now think about that step down. But he went further and says, and being found in appearance of a man, he became a servant. And being a servant, he goes on, he finishes this way. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Would you bow your heads with me? Envy, boasting, and pride all sabotage our ability to love and be loved. And knowing that is one thing, but making the change is something quite another. Because we can recognize it in ourselves and hate it in ourselves, but making the change, that takes a work of grace. That takes a work of God. Because we can't change that about ourselves on our own. And I'd like to kind of wrap up our time together this morning with this question for you, because I'd like to give us a chance to reflect. Is there a relationship in your life right now that is suffering as a direct result of your pride? your unwillingness to admit your fault in the problem, your unwillingness to ask forgiveness. You're on the outs with somebody and it's really more than anything else because of you, your pride. You're just stubborn about it. You don't want to admit it. And you know it's harming the relationship. And the only way to fix it is to be authentic, real, humble if you're in one of those kind of situations today and you would like to see that change no it's not going to happen on your own strength you're going to need that power that only God can give and I would love to pray for you in that situation so if that describes you in any way that there is a relationship in your life that is suffering because of your pride and you want to make a change about that And you could use some prayer. Would you just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment and catch my eye so I can acknowledge you and tell you I'm praying with you. Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Now maybe you're here. And you don't know that love of Christ because you've been so stubborn with God, you've been unwilling to admit your need, unwilling to admit your sin, unwilling to ask His forgiveness. Here's the thing you need to know. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. It's why Christ came to this earth, 
to demonstrate that love and to take that punishment for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be reconciled to God. See, that's, that's the purpose of love, reconciliation and redemption. And if you've never taken a step of faith towards him, but today God's speaking to your heart and you say, before I can fix any other relationship, I've got to fix my relationship with God. And you're willing to just say to him today, God, here I am. I'm guilty. I've failed. I've made mistakes. I've, I've sinned. And I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. If you've never done that before, but today you want to take that first step of faith, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Just raise your hand and look up and catch my eye so I can lead you in a prayer as we close. All right. Yeah. Anyone else? So I'm just going to invite you to make this your prayer. It's the same prayer for all of us, really. It's simply this. Lord, here I am with my faults, with my failures, with my sin, with my pride. And I can't change this stuff about myself on my own. I need you. Would you, Lord, please forgive me? By your grace and what you did for me on the cross, would you take that sin and remove it from me? Would you put your spirit in me and start changing my life from the inside out? I'm letting go. I'm admitting my need. And I'm asking for your grace. Would you do that work in me? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.